Dreams in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture Lecture Series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners so that you can listen at your convenience to keep up-to-date with new developments in arboriculture. We will be releasing a new podcast about once a month for downloading. We recommend that you subscribe to the series uh, so that you don't miss a single topic. If you have a favorite arboricultural topic that you would like to learn more about, please contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series, at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, the host of this series, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's lecture is by Chris Lully. Uh, he is with the consulting firm Urban Forestry LLC and is a plant pathologist and consulting arborist. He will be speaking on testing street trees for decay. This lecture was originally presented at the, Tr- the Trees and Risk Symposium, which was held at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory in February 2000. What I want to present today is uh, my take on the DK assessment process. And what, what I want to do is propose an approach for the evaluation, uh, give you what I think is my basis for this approach, why, why I believe this approach is good, and then talk about the results of a, a, a study testing that, uh, testing that approach. So, okay? So, away we go. This is my methodology, if you will, for DK assessment. Uh, first is to use visual uh, tree assessment uh, indicators of decay, then some sort of sounding and probing, and then some sort of advanced testing. I'm not here to uh, talk about the tools or any of that. That's, I think, another, another talk. I'm just getting you to the point where it's saying, why would I test that tree? Or if I'm a climber or a salesperson, why would I want to use those advanced tools? And what is the utility of using indicators of decay and sounding and probing? And then, of course, there's always the interpretation. If you're a more visual person, here's the same thing. Visual evaluation of decay indicators, which I'll talk about. I broke these up into a number of categories. And then sounding and probing. I want to um, evaluate the effectiveness of sounding and probing. And then some sort of advanced testing. So, in my opinion, general decay assessment is something we're all on the hook for. Right? We're going to evaluate trees visually. And then we're going to have to do something else. Whether you're a sales guy or a person climbing up in a tree, I don't believe that just visual assessment is adequate. We can sit here till the cows come home, right, and this northern tooth fungus, you'll never tell me how much decay is inside that tree without at least a little sounding and probing. So in my opinion, this sounding and probing, in addition to visual tree assessment, is, is obviously critical. Now the advanced assessment, uh, whether you're going to use whatever tool of choice, you're still going to have to make the decision to 
test that tree and test it in any particular location. And that's the point that I want to get to you with this, with this presentation. And in my opinion, these tools should be used under some sort of advanced risk assessment. And it's something that we should be charging for as part of our, our services. This is, I, I think we don't want to go down that road that we should be resistant graft testing every tree. I'm sure I'll probably like that. Or, or doing uh, some other test just as a matter of standard assessment. I don't think that we want that. I think these should be used in a documented risk assessment. So I want to talk about the basis for this approach and the decay, uh, decay assessment process. I'm not trying to create something new here. I really want to impress that upon you. The visual tree assessment, uh, this, uh, this decay assessment process would work within VTA or visual tree assessment. And we know that decay has a very high importance within the mechanical tree and evaluating that mechanical tree. And we're looking at two, two factors, right? We're looking first for the presence of decay, and then we want to evaluate decay severity. So decay is probably the most common tree disease, I would say. Uh, we'll look at some of those numbers. It's involved in most tree failures, right? But it's an internal defect. And I'm, I'm always surprised that people making judgments about the amount of decay in a tree just by visually looking at it. I, I, you know, sometimes you can do that, but the majority of times you're going to have to have some other assessment methods. So how do we know decay is present? We have one, we have presence of wounds, right? Because, uh, two, there's some sort of reaction or result of decay, meaning adaptive growth on the tree's part or partial failures. And then there's presence of positive indicators. So why are those valid? Well, we know most decay, or at least we believe most decays, starts when spores <coughs> affect wounds, right? And we make all sorts of wounds, some intended, some not intended, but typically wounds are one starting point for decay. We know that those spores affect the tree, and then there's some sort of enzymatic digestion. Here's a white rotter, here's a brown rotter. Those fungi are after the, the uh, various components of cell walls in the middle of the nelly and that these fungi attack by moving wood by enzymes, or by hyphae, and they release enzymes, and that they have an impact on wood strength. Either the brown rotters uh, mostly affect intentional strength, the white rotters affect the strength of wood compression, and then there's also the torsional impact of these fungi that nobody seems to talk about very much. So as a result of that impact on wood, we know that we, we end up with partial failures, right? And these are often due to decay. We have cracks, sometimes vertical, sometimes horizontal, and those are potential indicators of decay. They can, obviously can be due to other reasons. We know that the tree reacts to that decay fungus and the weakening of the mechanical stem. Uh, there's, you know, we have this model, if you believe, encoded, but we, we get things like adaptive growth, bulges and swellings and stems. That are, um, are sometimes indicated decay. As decay progresses, we know that internal cavities form and that decay eventually can consume a fairly large portion of the inside of the stem. This would be current term heart rot, but of course we know that's a misnomer because you can see the decay in the sapwood. In addition to internal cavities, we have external cavities that form as an indicator of decay. We also have visual evidence, and we sometimes there's not cavity there, but I can I can touch, I can see the decay, and that's why I have this particular category. 
And at some point, these fungi sporulate, and we know that the presence of conks on a tree means that the tree has decay. So, by the presence of wounds or reaction to decay, or the presence of these positive indicators, conks, cavities, or visual evidence, we would we would judge that the tree um, possibly has decay. In the case of positive indicators, it does have decay. Now, this decay indicator concept is not new. My major professor, Paul Mannion, kind of introduced it in 82, <coughs> kind of formalized the concept. But, you know, Shigo and the Europeans, uh, this, this publication was finished by David Lonsdale, um, we're all, have also been looking at this indicator concept for a, for a long time. And I'm not going to talk about it today, but clearly root decay has its own set of indicators, and, um, you know, we just, we just have to recognize. So there is a basic concept, which you heard Jill talk about. We know that symplastic health, biological health, is not an indicator of apoplastic health or structural health, right? The, I can translate this, and maybe it would be better if I did. Uh, a tree can have a very healthy canopy, but be very decayed, right? There's a silly picture. The classic example is the white oak. And you know, massive, beautiful tree. Look at the amount of internal decay. So we, if you accept that for the above ground portion of the tree, the, uh, we probably have to accept it for the root system too, that you can have extensive amounts of root decay and the tree not show, in some, in some cases, uh, significant external symptoms. All right, so visual evaluation of decay indicators. I've broken these indicators up into two groups. Potential indicators that tell us decay might be there, and then positive indicators tell us PK is absolutely there. <clears throat> Other people have used similar terms. Zabo and Morel use the definitive indicators, presumptive evidence for wooden service. Okay, I changed the term for a little bit. There's a long list of potential indicators. You'll be happy I'm not going to run through all these today, uh, but I've handed this out many times, and these are just keys that are, are indicators that decay might, might be present, all right? And it generally fall into two groups, old wounds, and the tree, the tree reaction or result of internal decay. A couple of them are, are kind of subtle, and until you get your eye for them, um, you know, I think uh, I'll just point a few of these out here, flowing exposure, where that tree is rapidly growing in a particular location and exposing the flow as, as if the bark, the outer bark is cracked. Sometimes that means the tree has, has internal decay. Bottle butt is another good one. Um, often seen on oaks, you'll see it occasionally in other, other species, but often trees with bottle butt have, have internal decay. Uh, trunk, trunk flattening, sometimes they call it butt flattening, um, but just this, this odd flattening of the, of the bark or lower trunk of the tree. And again, it's not 100%, but often a tree with a symptom will have internal decay. So these decay indicators are extremely common, and they're going to help us determine that decay is present, and they're going to help us guide the, the inspection process. And I'm not saying that we have to inspect every tree. They're there to kind of guide us through this ins inspection process. So positive indicators of decay, the list is much shorter. And let's look at those conks, right? Are all positive indicators of decay? We know that tree has decay 100%. And we know when we see uh, small, numerous fruiting bodies, the tree has sap rot or sap wood rot. 
and that a tree is rotting from the uh, bark side out towards the center. I don't know if any of you saw Brian Kane's my uh, uh, article in Arborist News on, on saffron. And saffron is very important to arborists. One of the most common reasons that arborists get in trouble when uh, working in trees because look at the massive amounts of strength loss in that original stem with just small amounts of, of saffron to get. Two inches in this case. Look at the same impact on, on wood strength when you have hard rot. So saffron is of critical importance. Um, but guess what? We don't have, even have any basic assessment methods for, for saffron other than picking at the stem as best I guess we have. So when we have few or large cones, typically that's heart rot. I say most of the heart rot fungi are go-fished. You're going to have to do some sort of advanced testing, typically with, with the heart rot fungi, because as Nelda pointed out, we just don't have the information on what these fungi mean when they appear on, on the side of the tree. Other positive indicators, external cavities and visual evidence. Okay? So, and I, I'm not going to have carpet pilings or, or sawdust because typically carpet ants nest and decay wood. Right. So there you go. And this is a great book, by the way, if carpet ants in the United States, if you happen to have a good in carpet Okay, so the, this, <laughs> we had a whole day at Carpenter Rants in New York, and it was great. That the, the author, uh, Laurel Hansen, is really excellent. He had a long, good speaker. This was my proposed methodology, and this is what I wanted to test out in the field to see out how these decay indicators, see how reliable they are, and see how um, good sounding and probing were to test for decay locations. Okay. Uh, this is a Highland uh, John's tree fund grant, and New York State DEC and Dave Nowak and the Forest Service were, were cooperating on this project. What we did, we tested about 2,000 Norway sugar, uh, sugar and silver maples and a host of other species. We had full street tree inventories. Notice that we did a complete random selection from those populations because of the inventories. It was, we couldn't have done this study without it, allowed us to do all the statistics uh, valid, I do some valid statistics. We only tested trees between 12 and 30 inches, and we evaluated for visual symptoms, sounding, and then tested with a resistor. Just quickly, we tested the first 10 feet of the trunk. Uh, we, for visual indicators, we sounded with the Sears Craftsman a hard plastic tip, and then we drilled three times at, at DVH and three times at an indicator, and our rating scale for the sounding and the visual assessment was one to five, where one was extreme and five was no decay, and it ranged based on the amount of sound wood to, to stem rating. Okay. We drilled to the center of the stem, three times equally spaced around the tree, and adjacent to the decay indicators. And it was a lot of drilling, and I need to thank Oliver for, uh, for keeping the resistant graphs going through that. Um, to uh, summer 2007 when we did, did this work. <clears throat> Sounding and probing, um, there's a, a great way, I'm a, a, a proponent of sounding, it's a rapid way to test decay indicators. And probing is as well. Rover <laughs> 50 uh, <laughs> is not so funny. But uh, you know, probing, some people are real quantitative and, and like to use probing, sticking things in the cavities and stuff, but um, you know, we didn't use that in this, in this study. 
Now, sounding, there's two methods. Thumping, which is, you know, you're kind of wailing on the side of the stem, which I really don't recommend. You put damage outer bark, and especially on thin bark trees. And tapping, which is more appropriate with one of these hard plastic mallets is, is what we use. There's something there with sounding. And, and now, did you, did you find any references on sounding? I don't... On, not with a mallet. Not with a mallet, and not in living trees. So every, uh, many people use sanding, but we don't know much about it. And these two are actually two professors at the U.S. Naval um, Academy, and we're, we're testing the limits of sanding using accelerometers and some of their fancy <coughs> equipment. I think it's pretty funny we got these people involved, but uh, we're, still, we're still working on that. There's a lot that comes out of those vibrational patterns when you, when you sound a tree, and that's what we hear when we sound is the vibrational pattern of, uh, of coming from, from potentially uh, decayed trees. Sanding's not perfect. Clearly, you get false negatives and false, positive, false positives. So um, I'm not trying to say sanding's the answer to everything. And you, yeah, it, does gain, yeah, it does take uh, time to gain experience with, with the technique. We sounded each indicator on one to five scale around the circumference. And then we point tested with the resistor graph. Um, and we use that sounding and those visual indicators to decide where to test. And clearly, as Julian pointed out, location matters. Where you stick those sensors on a tree or where you put that resistor graph on a tree really does matter. So we want to obviously test the location with, with the most we can. And I think most people are familiar with the, the uh, resistor graph, and this is what we quantify was this amount of sound wood after each, after each drilling. Okay. All right. We only tested one indicator per tree, and when we hit decay, we stopped drilling. So some results, finally. Overall, surprisingly, decay was 58% uh, of the trees had some decay. And there, although it looks like there's some difference among cities, there was actually no, no statistical difference amongst the, amongst the four cities. The only other study that I'm aware of, this study by Tate uh, in Sumter Park in New Jersey, where they found about 16, 12 to 16% of the of park trees and street trees had decay. So, uh, you know, significant increase <coughs> in what I found in terms of the uh, number of decayed trees. One interesting result was a uh, small diameter class had, there was no significant difference amongst diameter classes as far as incidence goes, which really suggests that decay probably gets established relatively young in the age uh, or the life, lifespan of a, of a tree. We also found that we're 1.4 more times likely to find decay testing that indicator versus DBH. So, and decay will be present 78% of the time an indicator is present. So <clears throat> it does seem like following this trail of indicators is, is the best way to go as far as the fourth determining decay incidence. As far as decay severity, um, only 2.5% of the trees had severe decay. Um, most trees just had, had very low amounts of decay. So what does that mean? So 2.5% of the trees more than one third, uh, or two, it should be two thirds of the radius decay. And that's 1,900 trees in four cities. And if you look at the samples, that's about 1,900 trees in the four cities based on 67,000 trees. 
Is that a lot or a little? I don't, I don't know. And clearly, these are not failure rates. So we know there's probably around 2,000 of these trees with two-thirds of the radius that, that are decayed out there in these, in these four cities. Um, is this low incidence working against us? I think so. Because if your guess is good to go, you're going to be right 97.5% of the time, right? It doesn't really force us to, to test well or test thoroughly. I mean, most trees have some decay, but they don't have a lot of decay. They've probably been removed from, from the population. So uh, it doesn't force us to inspect the frequently or thoroughly. <clears throat> decay severity by species, silver maple, good to know, lived up to its... It's, it's, uh, its reputation as having the most, uh, the largest number of, of, of severely decayed trees, and sugar maple had, had the least, a good compartmentalizer of decay. Uh, by diameter, again, those small diameter trees did not have very much decay, and most decay was in the large diameter trees. What's the take home message there? If you need to test something, test the trees that don't compartmentalize in the large diameter, the large diameter. We did not find a good relationship amongst uh, visual assessment and decay testing with the resistograph. This would be the decay classification with the resistograph, and this would be the decay classification with the with visual assessment. A very low correlation to just visual visual assessment of, of these decay indicators. Sandy, on the other hand, uh, was better but not perfect. We're accounting for about 50% of the variation here. And it seemed like there's a there's definitely a better correlation between sounding and the result of, of our resistograph uh, drillings. But clearly we're about off category with our sounding. I mean you're you're making your best educated guess when you when you actually sound the drill. Um, comparing decay DBH, blind drilling at DBH, and find the uh, drilling uh, based on sounding indicators. We identified about twice as many trees, severely decayed and moderately decayed trees, by testing at indicators versus just blindly or dumbly, uh, I might say, uh, drilling at DBH. So I think that really speaks clearly that if you do sound and do foul decay indicators, you're going to more than likely find more decay than if you just you know, drill at one location because you don't know any better. So, um, we also found a few other odds and ends. 100 trees had, five, had uh, decay with no indicators present. Uh, clearly, that's possible. And 98% uh, of these, or 98 of those 100 trees had minimal decay, and only a couple had a moderate decay, and none had severe decay. So, if there's no decay indicators present, you're probably okay. I mean, you still, you, know, you still probably should do a thorough inspection, but, but chances of, of severe decay being there are relatively small. Um, this is the, the number of trees with each type of indicator, relatively low number of trees with positive indicators, a lot of trees with potential indicators. And that is the real value of those potential indicators. There's not that many trees that have conchs, cankers, or conchs, uh, cavities, or visual evidence, right? Most of the trees have, have potential indicators. And that's why we really can't ignore that group of indicators because um, we're going to miss. Well, we, we will miss a lot of decay if you just run off the positive indicators. <clears throat> and here was um, one of the goals of, the, of this research was to look at the reliability of these indicators. 
And this was really kind of interesting to me. The, this is a, the average sandwood, smaller means sandwood to stem radius uh, ratio. The smaller means more decay. But phloem exposure, bottle butt, cracks, carpenter ants, root cutting, and trunk flattening were, were associated with the most decay. So those, those indicators that kind of captured uh, tree reaction to, um, or a result of decay, seem to be better correlated with more, more de internal decay in the tree. And here's the bottom, uh, there's, there's actually more, but um, just the, the first wound one that shows up is, is relatively back in the pack. And um, you know, maybe a question why, why are not wounds showing up <coughs> further, having more decay? I think probably when wounds become seriously decayed, they turn into cavities. And that's why you, and you probably don't know that that decay that was present was, was actually an original wound. Positive indicators, um, and just want to go back here. The potential indicators average overall of the soundwood to stem radius ratio of 0.84, and the, the positive indicators at average 0.6. So the, the obvious message there is when positive indicators of decay are present, there's more than likely you're going to have more, a lot more decay than when these potential indicators are present. And here's the sound wood to stem radius ratios for, for cavities, comps, and visual evidence. And when cavities, uh, cavities were, uh, the, the amount of sound wood was released with, with cavities, comps was middle, and, and visual evidence was immense. I just wanted to talk about comps, and <clears throat> 54 trees, or 3% of the trees had comps. And interesting, silver maple, the most decay-prone tree, had the fewest conks. So go figure. That's why conks are not really a good way to, to identify. They don't last long enough to develop. They don't. I'm not sure what the real reason is there, but um, this was a number of different decay fungi. Ustaline was the most common, Ganoderm lucidum. Unknown polypores, we identified those, and we need to update that. Ganoderm apneum and Clipper's squamosis. What was interesting, now I have a random, uh, a statistically valid sample of these decay fungi with the amount of decay associated with them. And, it, and I was happy to see that we've always said Ganoderma aponatum. When that fungus is present, there's typically a lot of decay associated with it. And now I have some numbers actually to, to support that. The sandwich to stem radius ratio average 0.39. And range from 0.1 to 0.7, and that was the most decay of any of the, the wood decay fungi. Ganoderm lucidum um, averages 0.64 and range from 0.24 to 1. Sometimes that decay must have been in the roots, even though the conks were, were right at the, at the soil line, the decay was undetected. And Ustalina, which was the most common wood decay fungus, uh, not even a Pacific Mycete, um, was about 6% of the trees, the sandwood radius ratio average 0.51, and again, the range from 0.19, very serious decay to, um, to, to one, no decay. So, do I think this process is works, at least what little research I have or have to offer on this, it does seem that following the, the visual evaluation of these indicators and then testing with some sort of sounding, at least, I think this program is probably also acceptable in some ways, is, is at least a basic assessment method that most people can do. And 
you know, remains to be seen on how reliable it is amongst our person and different people. But at least within this, this research context, it certainly does work, work. And you know, I, I would say that you probably want to go through this process before you just start randomly testing you know, a tree for decay using any method. So to wrap this up, decay is common but seldom severe. Clearly, it's better to use indicators and sounding to detect both incidence and severity of decay, at least based on this work. Uh, positive indicators, take note when those positive indicators are present. They're more than likely to have uh, a, a substantial amount of decay associated with them. And potential indicators are there. I don't, we can't ignore them, but their reliability is always going to be less, uh, less than positive indicators. All right, thank you. Concludes Dr. Luli's presentation on testing street trees for decay. If you want more information on assessing the risk of trees, you can purchase the complete Trees and Risk conference proceedings on DVD from the ISA. This DVD has audio and video recordings of all of the topics presented. The ISA also offers a full line of books on tree risk assessment, including Nelda Matheny and Jim Clark's A Photographic Guide to the Evaluation of Hazard Trees in Urban Areas. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide a podcast for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast series and to join us next time for another Science of Arboriculture lecture. In every country, trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques, whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.